Hello, everyone, and welcome to Watch and Walk podcast with Ebenezer. This podcast aims at inspiring you to trust in God and obey His Word every day. Be edified as you listen to this exhortation. Hello, friend. My name is Ebenezer, and I trust that God's grace is keeping you well. Well, this month, my interaction with Bible characters is featuring James, one of the leaders of the first century church. The role of James is played by Taylor Shippey, who is an MDiv graduate of Baylor Stewart Seminary and the pastor of Gibbon Baptist Church in Gibbon, Nebraska. In the first part of my interaction with James, I ask him about his background and the opportunities that he had to be a blessing to the church. Please listen to this first part. Brother James, thank you for joining me for Watch and Walk podcast. Joy to be joining you. I am blessed to be a part of this conversation to edify the Church of Jesus Christ and the brothers and sisters and saints around the world. Wonderful. Now, let me begin by asking you about yourself. Um, Please tell me, who you are. Who is James? Well, that's an excellent question. And if you have been familiar with the church, I sometimes get mistaken for other Jameses. There's quite a few Jameses in what you call your New Testament. So let me just say that I am not James, the brother of John, the son of Zebedee, one of the 12 and part of Jesus's inner circle. I am not that James. I'm also not the other James, James, the son of Alphaeus, another member of the 12. That is not me. I am James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I would be probably considered, you would say, the half brother of Jesus. So we shared the same mother, my mother Mary, um, but not the same father, because obviously Jesus Christ was born of our heavenly father, conceived of the Holy Spirit. My father is likely to be Joseph, and so um, besides Jesus, I have other brothers and sisters. You might be familiar with my brother Jude. He also wrote another one of the books of the Bible, but Simeon, Jose, and I have several sisters as well. And so we are just kind of part of uh, Jesus of Nazareth's earthly family. And so whenever we, uh, whenever you see brothers and sisters in the gospel of our Lord, I am included in that. Oh, okay. That is that is awesome. Let me uh, find out a bit about um, the strengths that you had um, in your earthly life. And then you can even connect them to the opportunities that God gave you to be a blessing to your world. Yes, yes. Um, I The Lord gave me quite a opp- few opportunities um, initially. Um, I was not a convert of Jesus Christ. I was not one of his earthly followers as he wandered around with 12 other disciples around Galilee. Uh, my family and I initially thought that he was insane, that he was crazy, that he was out of his mind. But the Lord had grace on me and the Lord did not give up on me. And so after his resurrection, after Easter morning, the Lord appeared to me. He appeared hmm. to me. And uh, and because of that, I became a prominent figure. And so that is whenever I figured out the grace of our Lord in Jesus of Nazareth after his death and resurrection. And so while I'm not in a disciple, I am an apostle in a broad sense. And so I don't claim my partial biological connection to Jesus to give me any sort of authority. 
to edify or to admonish other Christians, uh, whether in my own teaching or in my letter. Uh, but what qualified me is that uh, it's my spiritual relationship with Christ. And so I joined the other apostles. I joined the apostle Paul as apostle, as an apostle and have a leadership position. And so the Lord gave me that opportunity when I became uh, one of the leaders in the Jerusalem church. And so I am what, what you would probably call a bishop today. I was the first bishop of the Jerusalem church. And so together with, with Peter and John, the son of Zebedee, we became some of the pillars of the Jerusalem church. And so uh, we, were, we were a part of that. And for me, I was a part of the ground level of how do we transition the teachings of our Lord out of Judaism into this new movement that we called the way, that we called Christianity. And so I was on the ground level of that. And the frame work of that and the structure of that for our ecclesiology. What does it mean to be a church? And so we we had some conflicts early on in our church. I'll be looking at that. I'm just about to talk about that right now. Uh, since you talked about the experience in um, the Jerusalem uh, Council, tell us a bit about that kind of life. What was it like? And what was maybe the, the major conflict or some of the major conflict that you had? And and what did they what did the conflict or that situation teach you about God and salvation? Just walk us through that. Well, it was quite a lot at the time and and to be quite honest, I mean we were entering uncharted territory. Can you imagine that we had our Lord um, he ministered for three or four years. Um, but then he needed to return to the Father after his resurrection, but left us the Holy Spirit and using the Holy Spirit's guidance, we were charged with creating a community and the image and likeness of our Lord, but also to spread the gospel message, uh, our Lord said, in Jerusalem, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so we were and essentially under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, but entering into a lot of uncharted territory. But because of that, some initial conflicts came up. And so, um, as you probably are, are aware, we had some internal struggles and just confusion over some things the Lord opened the door for Gentiles to become a part of the church. And so for those that may not realize, uh, for those of us in the Jewish community, we had we had the law, we had the Torah, we were God's chosen people, but God began to open up that opportunity for now non-Jewish people or Gentiles to join the church. But some people had some questions about that. What does it look like for a Gentile or a God-fearing Gentile to then become a Christian? Did they had to adhere to some of the laws and, uh, and the restrictions that we had as Jews that belonged in what you call the Old Testament? Um, there were some that did. And so there were some men in Judea. Uh, they were they were from what we call the circumcision party or what you might later known as Judaizers. These are Pharisee converts to Christianity. And they believed and they taught that all Gentile men for salvation had to be circumcised. They had to circumcise themselves and keep the laws of Moses. But what happened is my brother Paul and his partner Barnabas, they had been ministering to Gentiles even across the Mediterranean world, and they disagreed with that position. They said, no, Gentiles do not need to adhere to circumcision, let alone the other laws of Moses. And so there was some disagreement on whether these Gentiles had to adhere to these ceremonial laws that we Jews 
even though we are now Christians and followers of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, we still adhere to. And so this came to a head and what was later known as the Council of Jerusalem. And so what happened is we all gathered together. Paul and Barnabas came back from their missionary journey. We all gathered together and there was a lot of heated debate. There was much debate on this conversation because it was it's, it's it's significant is what is the the what what do gentiles need to do to adhere to be godly people and so uh the apostle peter got up and spoke about his experience of mentoring uh, ministering with with gentiles paul and barnabas got up and spoke about their experience with with god's miracles and wonders that he was performing among the gentiles but finally as the leader of the Jerusalem church, I got up and spoke and I had several opinions, but I can boil them down to three. And this was basically it. I quoted Amos chapter nine, verses 11 through 12, declaring that salvation for the Gentiles has always been a part of God's plan, even from the Hmm. beginning. And I suggested that there are only three general aspects of the Old Testament Jewish ceremonial laws that the Gentiles had to observe. And there were basically three things. The first one was abstinence from things polluted by idols. So things associated with false gods, they do not need to associate with. Number two was avoidance of sexual immorality. And number three was refraining from uh, eating things strangled or that were covered in blood or from blood. As you know, circumcision was not a part of that. Other other aspects of the law were not a part of that. But of course, Mm -hmm. we did want Gentiles to adhere to the teachings of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ who came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it. Not to abolish it. Um, I've always wondered um, the idea behind those three particular um, instructions. Um, Do you have any thought about that? But why narrow it down to uh, sexual immorality and abstinence from food? And I've I've thought about it, and I don't know whether you have any thoughts about it. Well, you know, we're we're making judgment calls on what we think were, I guess, the big key aspects of the ceremonial laws, which are really purity laws, purity laws to be in God's presence. And so hmm. if we were to really boil it down, what are the key aspects? Um, again, not associating with false gods. That should be a fairly obvious one. Sexual immorality was significant. There are quite a few laws in Leviticus that speak about abstaining from different sexual acts that we can be as a community of faith together. But then then again, uh, there were other dietary food laws. But we have to understand that the Gentiles are coming from a different social, economic, even even cultural context than us Jews, that they were born and raised in different things. And and while I I would tackle it, I'll leave that to my brother, Apostle Paul, because the Apostle Paul takes that a little bit more head on than I do when he speaks about, you know, uh, the idea of do we eat food sacrificed to idols or not? Do we be circumcised or not? The Apostle Mm. Paul really handled that more than me, because, again, my ministry was mostly around in Jerusalem, which was mostly Jewish Christians. The Apostle Mm. Paul, on the other hand, whenever he was out traveling, most of his churches that he went to were mostly Gentile with some Jewish population in it. And that's why, honestly, uh, he's, a, he's a little bit more of a feisty debater than I am. So I'll let yeah. you talk to Paul. That's a great point. That's a great point there. But now let's look at the same uh, situation again. And let me ask you, what did that teach you about um, salvation? And for those of us who are worshiping or following them as um, Jesus right now, what, what can that also teach us about Christian ministry in general? Um, 
that the conflict and how you addressed it and um how you em- em- later on embraced even the gentile um christians well i think one of the the key things is um we're not the ones to draw a line around what is god's community hmm. we don't create those barriers god's the one that decides who's in and who's out and i think we discover that god has drawn a wider bigger circle than we have and we think we need to be mindful of that we also need to be mindful of what is our conduct as christians that we do not impose um regulations and things on on other christians that are unnecessary what are the core essentials to christian living what are core essentials to christian ethics that may or likely have a salvific component to it but there are others that have no bearing on our salvation whatsoever and if you read the letter that i wrote i'm a very practical person yeah we'll be we'll be delving a lot into that letter but you, you can point <laughs> it out let's continue <laughs> i i um whatever is what that's within us that can i will say stimulate the implanted word that is within us that can that can spur us on to what the apostle paul calls love and good works mm-hmm. that's what's core to our christian ethics and so as you come across maybe these things in your own churches and your own debates as i know that in the modern church that does we need to understand what are essential but then what are we would maybe say our secondary or opinions that have no bearing on our salvation and and that's honestly up for debate and that's and that debate started at that Jerusalem council and now 2000 years later i bet you could tell me that there's quite a few other instances where other councils and other meetings between christians had to be had to hash these things out and i only hope that only by the guidance of the holy spirit that you will lean into what he is illuminating in your hearts to know the right decision to make yeah great point there um i think about the many dogmas and doctrines that we have uh in our world in our church today and um the way sometimes it can they can divide us or can they can bring tension um i've learned that it is very important for us to really hold on to the basic you know foundational truth about god about christ make our circle of dogma very small so that we can engage in healthy conversations uh with people who are from different denomination who hold different um ideas or beliefs about other things so it's very important for us to know what is what i call non negotiable and and what what is secondary what is just um ancillary what what we can we can just go i mean tolerate or accommodate and even celebrate as part of our diversity Uh, as as believers and and uh, what your point really brings home um that idea and I, I really appreciate that when it should be noted that i would think that most of these individuals come with good intentions mm-hmm. we want to honor god we want to do what is in obedience to the implanted word within us and we want to do things that are honoring to the lord and so I want to just encourage everyone to realize that most of the time I would think these individuals come with good hearts and good intentions and it's not worth burning bridges it's not mm. worth destroying another person's uh life or or credibility or image 
because we are all made in the image and likeness of God. And so while at one point we are blessing God and we want to bless God, we're also not supposed to curse people made in image and likeness of God at the same time. And so I understand that these things get tense and these get these conversations can sometimes get uh, a, a vile at times. And so know that even the early church, us in the very first you know couple decades after our Lord, or even sooner than that, we were having these kind of conversations already. And so mm. don't be surprised. Uh, don't think this is something new, but also realize that um, we're all in this together. Yeah, we are all in this together. Um, good point there. I hope you found this interaction helpful. God willing, next week, please make a date with me for the second part of my interaction with James. Until then, may God bless your reflection on this one in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Watch and Walk Podcast with Ebenezer. Watch and Walk Podcast comes to you this and every Wednesday. To get notifications of new episodes, please subscribe. This podcast is brought to you by Watch and Walk Ministry. Visit us at watchandwalk.org to learn more about this ministry. God bless you.